quickly. It's a draw! It's a draw! And then she gets it back! Oh, you're kidding me! And the Sunshine Coast Lightning have achieved the unthinkable. Another episode of the Inner Circle Podcast, episode 14 actually, Bianca Chatfield, if you can believe it. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. I can believe it. I feel like we've covered off a lot in those 14 episodes. Yeah, we have and we've had some great guests and we've got another one coming up today actually. Kath Harby-Williams, who was uh, the Australian captain for many years and now heads up the Australian Netball Players Association, we'll be talking to a little bit later. So I'm really looking forward to kind of getting a bit of an insight on the world of netball from that perspective. Yeah, especially now. I mean, you and I both had a lot to do with the Players Association yeah. over the years and I handed it over to Harbs <laughs> with, with a great huge relief. amount of relief <laughs> because I tell you what, it's it's such a hard job to do and it just takes – it consumes a lot of energy and a lot of time. Um, and for so long it's always been run by, I guess, players, you know, because we haven't had the ability to employ somebody to do the role. So it's great now that Harbs has taken it on now as a former player, but now, you know, she's in a role where she's getting paid to do it and, you know, she's covering off a lot of ground in the short amount of time that she's had that role. So it'd be good to delve into a little bit deeper and actually find out some of the stuff that she can do now that it's a, a position that's – you know, a paid position. So she has time to go out and actually try and make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And different from when we were involved in that too, when we were largely, you, you kind of extended it a little bit, but we were still playing at the time. And yep. so even that, in a way, that little conflict when you were trying to head up an organisation like that was um, a bit challenging. I too still remember times. that time, Shaz, where you and I and went to Fair Work Australia. Yes. And because it was, you know, a, a dip- it, it was about the wages and it was about us, you know, trying to make sure that the Australian Diamonds got paid and we were both in the team. And so to be able, you know, to go to Fair Work and to be taking on Netball Australia in that way when we were actually – actually, we had you finished playing by no, then? No, I was still you playing. You were still playing, yeah, yeah, when both of us were still playing. And, you know, deep down you were always worried that that potentially could affect your selection was the fact that you were the ones, you know, fighting for the players and heading it up. Yeah, and it was a, quite a confronting kind of situation to be in. I was still playing for the Vixens at that time, not with the Australian team anymore, but it was uh, a, a really interesting time to be a part of and, mm. and I guess now for Harbs um, that is ahead of her um, with everything that's going on. So it will be great to, to chat to her. Um, let's talk, though, about Suncorp Super Netball over the weekend um, because the jostle for Lad position continues. How's me? I wrote off Magpies going, nah, nah, Giants are playing too well and they had a great game, didn't they? Well, and guess what? Now they are one out of the top four and um, really they won that game over in Perth only winning one quarter. So they'll be kind of ruining not being able to secure any more uh, bonus points. But at the... um, the kind of jostle for the top three positions are still on the Swifts um, with their big win over Ooh, us, the we Melbourne need to talk Vixens. about that in detail. Um, haven't haven't yet secured that top position, but certainly kind of put a little bit of daylight um, in between. Certainly the Vixens um, and the Sunshine, uh, Sunshine Coast Lightning. So these next couple of games are going to be huge. I know it's the best way to end the season, isn't it? Where you don't really know what's going to happen. We don't really know. We, I mean, I think we can guarantee that. Lightning, Swiss and Vixens are in the finals, but it's just wherever they fit. Yes, uh, that is 
That and is I'm, certain. I don't think that that can change. And there's only the... one point that separates giants and magpies mm-hmm. now. So, uh, I mean, I'm not a very good statistician or, you know, ladder analyzer, but I don't <laughs> believe fever can make it anymore. No, that's correct. So, done, <laughs> okay, good. I've done some research. <laughs> um, now, you spoke to Nat Medhurst earlier. Uh, I didn't realize that the game was not meant to be on a Monday night initially. No, I know. This is uh, the Monday night netball um, that we had originally the game was scheduled for Saturday, but they got bumped out of the arena for Fleetwood Mac, (laughs) which was really interesting. So um, we actually spoke to Nat Medhurst on our radio station, RSN, earlier today, and this is what she had to say about that situation. Oh, God. Take me through this. I don't know. Can you explain it? Um, Was there anyone there watching you? There was. Um, I must admit, Perth always get a, a pretty awesome crowd, so there were quite a few people there. But we were initially scheduled for the Saturday night, but they got bumped out of RAC Arena because of Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually why we got bumped. So um, we got bumped to the Monday night. I do not like it. So we got back late yesterday. I think um, I about 5.30. I walked in the door and literally just rocked up to training this morning. So... Yeah, short turnaround. That's interesting <laughs> that um, the way that kind of played out and challenging for the Magpies certainly with that return trip home um, from Perth. It's a tough one anyway, so they've lost a couple of recovery days. Um, but I wanted to ask you, what did you think about Monday Night Netball? Well, I actually really enjoyed it. I think yeah. there's a lot – as a player, I think it would be tough because, you know, getting back up, as you just said. But I liked watching it because I feel sometimes when you've got – you know, two games on a Saturday and two games on a Sunday back to back, you don't often have the time to watch them all live. You know, there's other things going on on weekends. Um, so I liked Monday night because it was just dedicated to sitting down and you could watch the whole game. And generally most people home on Monday night, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a <laughs> So from a spectator, I liked it. Yeah, I really liked it too. And I, and I think you're right. There's always many different angles to look at things. I think from a team perspective, when you're trying to manage – Um, Those turnaround times, um, obviously that would play into it. But I I don't mind the free air on a Monday night um, and being able to have some space uh, for netball. And especially, I think, from a crowd perspective, in the school holidays, Monday night games would be... You know, I think very well accepted because then more people can go to them as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's not too much out of your weekly. You know, in on holidays anyway, to be able to go to the netball. Um, after our chat with Michelle Fippard last week, I thought that was really interesting, and you know, I certainly learnt a lot from having her on. Uh, we saw the umpires. Oh, I don't know if we'd say step up, but we saw the umpires all get involved in the game uh, and some of what Michelle said around how they're coached and how they look over what's happened every week and, you know, then they obviously try and better their performance the next week. And I was watching the Thunderbirds game against Firebirds and Georgina Sully Beals, um, it was her second ever game of Suncorp Super Netball. And, and her first was. Her first that was. That game that we were talking Johansson about last week. Firebirds, which we were all firing up about. Um, but credit to Georgina because in her second ever game, she stood there and she took control. Mm. And we had some great um, audio and vision of her pulling up Shamira Sterling. And it took her about 10 seconds to get Shamira Sterling to stand out of play and do what she was told. And I really enjoyed that she took control of that situation, made Shamira stand there, 
you know, got her point across as to why she had to do that and then we just moved on with the game. So well done, Georgina. Yeah, and there was another situation where James Matthews was in – Matthew was in control um, in the Magpies fever game and it was uh, fairly – uh, impressive coat hanger that Courtney Bruce <laughs> threw out to Nat Medhurst and her head snapped back a little bit. Um, and James said, well, that's twice now, Courtney, and that's a caution. And so I actually, you know, I don't think we need umpires necessarily um, using players' names every time they call something out. But in, in an interaction like that where you are trying to get um, that stronger point across about how they want the game to be played. I really, I liked that. I, th- I think there was a bit of strength there, but there was also that personal nature um, of it that I think in the heat of the moment, it can sometimes dissolve that a little bit because you're a bit more personal. Absolutely. Yeah. There has been a lot of talk. Liz Ellis wrote an article on the umpires um, and you know, she mentioned in her article and we had a few people ask us on Twitter, you know, how much do the umpires actually get paid? Because I don't know, I can't um, confirm whether they were paid or not at the World Cup. I'm not sure that was one question that we had and we should have asked Michelle that. But um, Liz put in her article that the best umpires for Suncorp earn around the minimum wage of the players, which is around the $25,000 mark. Um, And, you know, there is a lot of call for the umpires having to put more effort in, Netball Australia put more effort in, into educating them, into upskilling them, all of that, which... I do agree with. There's got to be some resources allocated to the umpires. I just, where's the money coming from? Mm. This is the hard pit. You know, we can all stand back now, whether we work in the media or, you know, we're just fans of the game. We can all have all these suggestions. But there's got to be, Netball Australia have to have the money somewhere. And the players obviously are pushing for more. Coaches push for more. Clubs push for more. Umpires are pushing for Mm. more. Like, there's only so much money that Netball Australia actually have. So, you know, I think we're doing a fair and reasonable job at the moment, currently what we're doing. I think Liz made a good point in that article about let's invite some international umpires out to umpire in the super netball, so like the imports in the game. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, why not do that to help upskill the international umpires? Um, and probably upskill, I don't know if that's a harsh word, but, you know, just allow them to have the opportunity to umpire at this level more consistently than what they do. Yeah, and I mean, it's... It's often said that this is the best competition, netball competition in the world. So uh, why wouldn't you want your players playing in it and your umpires experiencing um, that level of play? And, you know, we did speak to Michelle Fippard on this podcast last week and she explained what a week looked like for them, how they prepare, how they review the games. And so um, I think it's also really important to remember that they do put a lot of time and effort into, you know, that pre-season work that they do, meeting the teams, they review view their games, they're sending um, sending footage, they're receiving footage. So they, they do do a lot. It's not as though they rock up at a game yeah. and start blowing their whistle. So there is a lot of work that do, do go into those umpires as well. Yeah. Another question we had on Twitter, Shaz. Yes. Uh, and I get to see a little bit of it when I'm sitting on the sideline and that is how we communicate or how coaches communicate to players around calling the timeouts, yes. whether it's – a tactical timeout or it's a quick injury timeout. And, you know, I don't know if you remember, but back when for Melbourne Phoenix when we had Joyce Brown, yes. the legendary <laughs> yes, Joyce Brown this. as yes. our coach. Yes. And, you know, there was no tactical timeouts back then. It was call an injury timeout. You get your minute or whatever you got and, you know, Joyce could give you a rocket if you weren't <laughs> playing well <laughs> or, or take you off. But I distinctly remember that her words from the sideline were, 
Bianca, pull your socks up. Yes. <laughs> and if you heard that, that was the indication to me that I had to call time. And I mean, sometimes you'd try and pretend you couldn't hear that because yeah, you didn't want right. to call time. <laughs> Just and ignore you'd him. run away to the other side of the court. But <laughs> that was kind of her code because, you know, of course she couldn't be seen calling time deliberately no, or, yeah. you know, being instructed to call time. And I've seen um, – Stacey from West Coast Fever, the coach of West Coast Fever, I've seen her just yell out to Kaylee Stanton, you've got to call time, because that was when Kaylee Stanton was getting a full games at goal attack under her belt. And so they were needing um, you know, her to have a little bit of a rest during each quarter, a very tactical, a good use of the tactical timeout. So, you know, I've heard Stacey just blatantly yell out, you know, you need to call time. Um, what other ways or what are the codes? Is it just Chinese whispers that the coach will <laughs> send a message out to the closest player and they pass it on to the player that needs to call time? How does it work? Well, I think that that is often how it happens. The message gets out there and gets passed on to the right player. But, of course, with a tactical timeout, um, there's no secrets needed for that, is there? <laughs> no. There's no no pretense. You want a tactical timeout, you can use that for whatever reason. So I think with that one, um, you know, in, sometimes there'll be a run of goals and that's kind of the trigger to call a tactical timeout to try and uh, break a momentum. Um, or and, and sometimes it'll be just a reading of the play from the players out on court. The captain wants to actually call that timeout just to give everyone a moment and sometimes it will come from the coach on the bench. So I think um, particularly with that tactical timeout, there's a few different ways that um, that gets called. Um, and, yeah. we, and that was always actually one thing that um, if it was a run-on of three goals or more for the, from the other team, like we knew on court, then we had to break momentum. And mm. so quite often someone on the bench might be holding up three fingers so that you know that there's they've had three goals in a row and then it'd be someone's responsibility, mostly the captains, to call time to break momentum. That was when I played, but that was before tactical timeouts had come in. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, I do like that as part of Super Netball. I think I quite enjoy that there is the ability to have those tactical timeouts. Yeah. When a player comes off, this is another question we got. So in the Vixens game, um, Caitlin Thwaites came off. And when, so when she go, comes off and she goes and sits on the bench as the goaling you know, specialist coach, do you go and talk to her straight away as soon as she's been taken off? Do you let her sit and just kind of gather her thoughts first? How do you approach it as a coach? Well, and I'm sure everyone's very different with this and we've seen different teams approach it differently, but um, generally um, we use the breaks to kind of have those chats. So with Caitlin in that moment, there was only a a minute or so before the halftime break. So she just um, came onto the bench and gathered her thoughts and then we went in um, for that halftime break. So I think, you know, everyone, every athlete needs something different in that moment. And I guess there's different processes with each of the teams. Um, so, yeah. I, and I guess you know your players well enough, don't you? You know who wants to hear from you straight away and who yeah. needs a bit of breathing space. <laughs> yeah, but perhaps. Yeah, that's right. And and I get the interesting thing. I mean, I, I know we've spoken about this before too with those tactical timeouts and teams using it for either a a break in momentum or a breather. It was was interesting listening to Liz Watson a couple of weeks ago talking about how when they went into that international program where on an international level that those sort of things aren't available to you, um, that they trained for that. They were training for those 15-minute block periods because um, 
It's been they, the timeouts were used a lot over the weekend, weren't they? Oh, they were. Mm. Um, but I think it's clever. I think the smartest teams will actually use them in that way. Yeah. Um, and that's another thing with interchange and, and making changes. You know, we talk a lot about Nolene from Sunshine Coast Lightning and, you know, everyone, she's what been tagged the genius coach and, you know, she's a mastermind with what she does. The thing that I like about Lightning and whenever I watch them play, I feel like all of the interchanges and subs that she makes are very proactive rather than reactive. So she quite often is, you know, she knows what she needs out of the game for the next five minutes or the next 10 minutes and she'll make those changes accordingly. And then you see other teams who are very reactive and who are just quickly trying to cover whatever's happening in the game and that's when the changes are made. When you're when you're going into the game with the Vixens, um, how much is it pre-planned what you I think you might do? Um, do you think if this player is getting over the top of us from the other team, then we'll make this change? Or is it this is our starting seven and let's just see how it goes? Yeah, I had this question last night at a function I was at actually. Um, oh. <laughs> and... Um, so I think you, you go for, for us at the Vixens, we, we go in with the starting seven that we have and the, the plan is hopefully that they play really well and that they are able to run the game out. Um, you know, there are some tactical things that we might have a plan for if a certain thing happens. So we, we've certainly got in our minds um, what our strategy might be given certain circumstances. And on uh, away games and home games, at what stage do the girls find out who's in the starting seven? Uh, well, at um, at home games, it's in the team meeting. You're at the, at the courts and so they will find out in that team meeting just before they go out to warm up. Um, in away games, usually... Um, well, the way that we structure is the um, the team meeting actually happens at the hotel before we leave for the court. So that's when the players will find out. But again, we mentioned before that we spoke to Natalie Medhurst um, on RSN this morning and she started the game on the bench, um, which was perhaps a bit surprising for some. And it was also surprising for Natalie Medhurst. Yeah, it is different to be honest. I actually didn't find out. I actually thought I was starting and it wasn't until um, I walked into the change room literally just before we had our team meeting that I found out I was on the bench. So um, I wasn't too, uh, yeah, I wasn't expecting that. But yeah, you do your role and you obviously, um, in some ways it also fires me up as well to, um, I guess, prove a, a point when you get back out there. But I thought Gabby played really well. Um, she shoots beautifully and I think it makes the defenders change as well. I think they probably don't pay her enough attention and respect as what they maybe should otherwise. So, um, yeah, I'm old enough and I guess able enough to be able to deal with it. And um, I know I'm still capable of doing my job when I get out there, which has been the main thing. Interesting what Nat had to say. I, oh, I don't know where I sit with this because I am very much of the, you like things to be fair and equal within a team. And if you're not putting someone in the starting seven that has always been there before, do you give them the heads up before you name that seven? Or... Are they treated like every other member of the team that everyone's finding out that starting seven in the moment? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Which way would you go? <sighs> oh, I don't, oh, I don't. You would hope that if you weren't in the starting seven, even though you always have been, at some stage throughout training during the week, you would have some indication that you weren't performing well enough to be in there. The coaches had given you some feedback and you know you knew that that position was on the line. 
you wouldn't want it to be a complete surprise out of nowhere that yeah, you've no, never had any so. feedback and because relating to also, that. And, you know, you, you want your athletes to be at their best. So if, if the role then is, um, you know, it's a bit of a surprise that you're on the bench, perhaps that little bit of time just to digest that may get a better response out of that athlete. So anyway, but it was Rob Wright actually wasn't over in Perth mm. for family reasons. So um, whether that changed the processes around things, I, I don't know. As I, I, Nat said that she found out just as she was arriving at the yeah. stadium. So, Which is hard to deal with as a player too, isn't it? You know, but quite often if you're on the bench for a whole game and, you know, your team wins and whatever in that moment, you've just got to suck it up and put on a happy yeah. face and get over it. So. Yeah, you do. And also, yeah, hard for a player. But, I mean, we I think the days have gone where, you know, largely um, there's a real set starting seven, two in ways. I mean, I know we do still have that and probably at the Vixens it's um, we have been running with that quite a bit. But, um, you know, the strength of the squad is what everyone speaks about. So... I think that as an athlete that you need to be prepared for mm. any circumstance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Should we get to halves? <laughs> Let's get to halves. <laughs> it's uh, been good chatting and we will, um, after we've chatted to halves, just have a, a little sneak look forward yes. because there's some very interesting games coming up that will have a huge impact on the shape of the final four. But before we do that, let's get on to our guest, Catherine Harvey-Williams. Welcome back to the Inner Circle podcast. As I mentioned before the little break, we do have a really fantastic guest with us. She's had an enormous amount of experience in netball um, in many different roles, one being uh, the captain of the Australian netball team at different times and now as the head of the Australian Netball Players Association. Kath Harvey-Williams, welcome. Good to talk to you, ladies. <laughs> Fantastic to chat to you. And can I just firstly start by saying thank you for the inspiration that you used to provide me as one of my fiercest competitors. <laughs> when I used to go for any long run, which I absolutely hated, the thing that kept running through my mind was, I bet you Kath Harvey wouldn't stop running. I bet you she'd still be going. <laughs> So and thank the, you, Harbs. I take that as a compliment and the feelings mutual, Shrell. We used to have some terrific clashes and <laughs> I think, you know, for us to compete against each other, we had to get ourselves up every time. So it was my pleasure as well. Oh, <laughs> what were some of the tactics you'd use against Shrell, Harbs? Oh, she was dirty. <laughs> I know that wouldn't surprise you. Elbow, oh. you know, suddenly stopping in front of you so you'd fall over her so she looked like the victim. I could go on and oh. on. <laughs> I love watching and, it from the other end of the court. That's hilarious. And, and might I add, I was clean, really clean. Oh, actually, I was about to say that. You were one of the cleanest players I ever played against. Her. I don't think I've ever good said fun. that before. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was good fun. And, you know, it's um, interesting where we're, we, we've come, I guess, from where we used to have our clashes mm -hmm. to now. Um, yeah. When you kind of sit back, not necessarily in your role with the AMPA, but how do you see netball and, and where it's developed to? Yeah, well, isn't it interesting? I guess in recent times too, there's been a lot of talk about the physicality. And, yeah, and I, I mean, that's what the sport is, isn't it? We're asking the players to put in more time to become stronger and faster. And I think we, you know, people, we hide behind the fact that we're a non-contact sport. Yet it's not the case. You know, no. it's a competition. There are two players going for one ball and there's going to be contact. There's going to be physicality. So, you know, the umpires are there for a reason. They'll always keep it in control, under control. Um, you know, the players will push it to the limits, but that's the game. You know, that, that is the game. And 
when people talk about the fact that the game's changing, it's becoming more physical, well, what do you expect when the players are putting more time and effort into becoming, like I said, stronger and faster, etc.? So um, it's a different game now. You know, in our day, it was a bit more about touch, and, and I like that. You know, Sue Kenny springs to mind. She was really lovely and silky and, and smooth. It's, that element of the game is lost, but, you know, it's like any sport. It evolves and it changes, and, you know, as long as people continue to come and continue to watch it, then that's the main thing. So um, I just think it's part of the evolution. Your role now with the Players Association. Take us through what that looks like. We we spoke beforehand uh, about you know like our roles with it and how you know it's been passed on from yeah. players to players. You know, always yeah. it's been run by players, and where it's yeah. awesome at the moment now that you have been able to take it on board. Um, it's a paid role, and that you can yeah. actually make some great changes. Yeah, well, and I'm loving it. You know, dealing with the players, it's so refreshing. We've got a really mature group of athletes. You know, they're still at the stage where they're appreciative of um, being able to be a, a full-time athlete, if you like, but not forgetting where they've come from. And, and, you know, the constant message from us is to ensure that those players know that they've got a role to play in terms of leaving the game in a better place when they move on because, you know, that's the role of all of us as we come through the system. Um, and, you know, when I came into the role, it was very clear to me that they were so mature that they said our number one priority is well-being, enhancing the well-being program within our sport. You know, they didn't talk money, they didn't talk conditions, but that was their number one priority. So we've been spending a lot of time working on a well-being program with Netball Australia and the clubs that hopefully will come to fruition shortly. Um, and we're currently undertaking CPA negotiations, which is more of a tweak because... The CPA expires or just extended to the end of next month, but we're just extending it for two years thereafter in line with the broadcast deal because you know, the broadcast deal determines really how much more money is coming to the sport, if any, so then you're in a better position to sit down and negotiate. So, um, you know, it's fantastic. And another area that the players are really keen on and is important to them is to make sure that they're well-rounded people, so they're not just athletes during their time within the sport, that they're also developing themselves, be it through study or work experience, et cetera. So when they get to the other end, that transition is a lot easier than perhaps some athletes are finding if they haven't um, developed other skills um, to their personality or to their character. So, you know, all those things are really important to the players and to me that just says it's a really mature group and they understand what's, what's important to them and, as I said, it's not always about money. No, not at all. And you mentioned some of those players and each team have delegates for the Players yep. Association. Um, yep. Can you mention some of the players who are the real driving forces behind, you know, all the changes and what they want to make happen in the future? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a, a load that's very well spread. So we have now what we call the board. So we have a, a, a board, Jeff Parmenter is the chair of our board, and then we have one representative from each team that is a board member, and then they have supportive delegates. So that might be part of the succession plan or other players that, that pick up the slack if the others become too busy. But it's a, it's a cross-section. That's what I love about it. So um, you've got Matt, Matt Medhurst is our president and Joe Weston, so they're obviously at the elite end. But then you've got people like Laura Clemisha at the Firebirds, Maddie McAuliffe at the Lightning, Shannon Eaglin at the Fever. So not your household names, but those that feel as though they can play a role um, at that level. And then we have Joe Harton from the Giants, who's an international. So we've got a really good spread, you know, Maddie Proud, um, just trying to cover off them all. Um, Chelsea Pittman, another international at the Thunderbirds. Um, so, you know, I think that's 
That's no, about all of them, but a really good spread. Yeah. Um. What What are the sort of things that those players actually do? Give us an insight as to how often you catch up. What are the sort of things yep. that you you're talking sure. about on a on an ongoing basis? Yeah. So we are required to have four board meetings a year. Um, one of those is face to face, which is sort of aligned with our AGM, and the others are phone calls, and they generally go for you know an hour and a half at least. Um. A lot of it is to do with communication in terms of what's going on. So in recent times, it's been very much focused on the CPA in terms of what are our priorities, what do, what do we deem as our non-negotiables, what are our nice to have. So that we use those board members as they give me their opinion and then they go back to their team and then they come back in terms of you know providing advice as a collective. So they're the champions, if you like, of the players' association. So they're the voice, they're the people that inform their teammates in terms of how important um, the players' association is. We have a um, Joe Weston and I on what they call the competition committee. So they come up with discussions about, you know, should there be a match review panel? Should we change the rules, etc.? So she and I sit on that and we're the voice for the players. And if there are controversial issues, we then go back to the players to get... Um, a collective view and and run with a majority because we're not always going to agree but we you know we we go with what the majority think um, so there, there's plenty of stuff that that goes on I'm in constant correspondence with the the groups you know in terms of at the moment players are being contracted there are some that are uncontracted so we had a discussion at board level to say look those who are uncontracted they are happy for their names to be put out there so that you know other high performance managers know that they're on the market so just trying to make the conditions and and better for the players to open up the communication with Netball Australia and the clubs and just to have a voice at the table. Um, and so, for instance, you know, in recent times there's been discussion about the scheduling of the World Cup, you know, and the players returning um, so soon. You know, from now on we will have a strong voice. Uh, we will put forward what, what we recommend. And, you know, that uh, won't always be agreed to, but we just want them to come back and advise us as to why. Just to stop all that discussion amongst players as, you know, we're coming back early, why? And if, if they don't know why, then it becomes an issue. Whereas if we've explained to them why, then, you know, it stops all that chatter behind the scenes. And they don't need that sort of disruption. No, they don't. And we've seen uh, in recent times with Super Netball that they've put together an independent commission. Do you get a seat at that table to, um, you know, be able to advise what the players need and want? Yeah, no, we, we don't have a seat at the table, but in our CPA, we are putting a condition where we, by we are, we have a voice and we can make recommendations and, and we're spoken to to get our input. And, and I'm fine with that. You know, that, that commission is sort of next level up. So we, we don't want to get involved in the strategic thinking other than, you know, if they've got ideas, they come to us to get our point of view. And um, so the, 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 committee that sits below that is that competition committee which we're a part of so I'm really excited by the commission because the pure focus for them will be the SSN and at the end of the day it's very much the bread and butter of you know of of our elite game and with all these other sports coming at us we've got to make sure that we do things right we do things differently and we and we're trying to take some steps forward. Kathy you mentioned the contracting period before and I think that that's an interesting one because in uh, quite recent times, actually, the mm-hmm. contracting period didn't begin until the end of the season. And so yes. there's been a bit of a shift in that, that it's been brought forward to, I think, round 10, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, just take us through that and, and how the players are feeling through that, because I can imagine that um, for some, perhaps it's a bit of a distraction. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it is. A lot of them, well, you know, resources edge now have um, managers, Sherelle. So, you know, what was happening is discussions were going on anyway. Um, so it was all secretive. And we don't have, you know, we, we've got a compliance manager, but he's not, you know, out there and hasn't got people out there making sure everyone's doing the right thing. So whilst we knew that all the discussions were going on, and again, this is something that we chatted at the board table, you know, are players happy to have those discussions occurring during the season? And, and they were. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, to me, it was common sense. Other sports do it. And it's all about the maturity. You know, we're maturing as a sport and players get that it's a business and people want to have those conversations to determine where players are at. They want to be able to sign their own and then it opens up to the free market. So, you know, again, that sort of came out of the competition committee. We then went to the players with their view and sort of landed in, a, in agreement with what the competition committee recommended. So I think it's a a really good step forward um, yep. because, that, you know, otherwise players are put in that position where those discussions are happening and they're not supposed to be and, you know, that's pretty awkward. Now that you've had a lot of time to, you know, get your head around where netball's at um, and, yeah. you know, what needs to be done, what's yep. one thing that you're loving at the moment about our sport and what's thing what's one thing that you think really needs to change? Yeah, uh, look, you know, I guess just having that level of competition, you know, there's a lot of talk about whether or not these all these international athletes should be able to play, and I absolutely think they should. You know, we are trying to produce the best uh, club competition in the world, and we've got that at the moment, and to put restrictions in there would be a step back, in my opinion. People say, well, we've got to think about the pathways. Well, yes, we do, but I don't think the SSN is the level to do that. It's the next level below that needs addressing. So I guess, you know, that's sort of one element of your question, B, is, the ANL needs to, to we need to put more resources into that because mm. you know it only runs half of the season, and so then players aren't getting the level of competition at that level below on a regular basis. So then when clubs need a replacement player, they start looking internationally as opposed to looking locally. So I think we need to work out some incentives for clubs to to sign those local girls because sometimes it's a, a line ball. So you know if we can provide incentives, and that's what the competition committee will look at is. What are those incentives for, you know, if it's a line ball that a club will then fall toward a local player rather than go internationally? In terms of the, you know, the really important elements for me there, it's twofold. It's, you know, really getting the media and the PR system rolling and, and getting the players' names out there. Because I think if you went around the country, you know, people are starting to know more AFL women's players, women players than they are netballers. So I think that the character of the players really needs to come out and align with that is a broadcast deal, you know. All the the major sports have massive, you know, some billion dollar broadcast mm. deals and we are nowhere near that. But just to, to get a, a leg up in that area would make a, a massive difference to yeah. our sport. Yeah, and you and you talk about those things which are obviously critically important. How do you balance when you're kind of across um, the two programs in the SSN, which is a real entertainment package, and mm-hmm. the Aussie Diamonds, yep. uh, which is clearly a high performance, yep. more of a high performance kind of focus. How, mm-hmm. how do you strike the balance of, um, you know, making sure both of those things are taken care of? Yeah, well, I guess that's where the board comes in. You know, they've got representatives and, and we understand the high performance element. So, yes, you know, part of the process is to make sure that the Diamonds is, are successful. And that's where it comes in. So whilst I say, you know, the SSN is the elite comp of one of these international athletes, you know, that's and the players love playing with the best in the world, how can we improve our system? You know, we've just bombed out in two major championships, which is unacceptable for 
Australian netballers and you guys, you know, like me, former players that you just think that that's not what we're at. You know, for us, it's gold or nothing. Um, and that's unique because there are a lot of other sports who would go, well, I'd settle for silver any day. But, you know, the expectation, and I don't ever want that to change, is that for Australian diamonds, it's to win. And if you don't, then you haven't achieved what you set out to. So, um, you know, the... I've just negotiated the Diamond CPA. Uh, it's, a, it's separate to the SSN, but it's just making sure that they get looked after. Um, you know, one of the key things for them is to making sure to make sure they don't get burnt out because you know all these internationals and diamonds are doing a lot more than the others, but their time off isn't necessarily commensurate with that. So that's the well-being element. So we've got to work on that. Um, but you know, I think Sherelle, it helps that I've been through the system, so I sort of get an understanding of you know, the difference between the two. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all about improving the conditions for the players wherever they're at. Yeah, and you, you do keep referring to that well-being and the welfare side of yeah. things and how important that is um, for everyone really involved in, yeah. in this, oh, every stage of netball, but certainly this elite end. What what do you see are the biggest challenges in that space for these athletes currently playing? Well, it's just the, the increasing demands on them, and that's why you know it you know looks like but by the beginning of next year we're going to have an overarching well-being manager or want for want of a better term overseeing the sport. So they will go into all the clubs, they'll look at the diamonds just to make sure that you know they've got minimum standards in that well-being space. Mm-hmm. But the thing I like about having that person on board is they'll bring all the clubs together so they can share information. Where I think. Whereas at the moment, everyone works in isolation and some would do it better than others. So to share that information and work out what works best within our sport, because every sport is different, then that's going to make a big difference. So, you know, it's a matter of us making sure that we make them aware of the demands on, on these international players. It's, you know, it's, it's really difficult. Um, you know, they're signed for 12 months. It's hard to find some spots in there to actually have some real time off because mm. often they need to get themselves up for a competition. So, I, you know, I'm really looking forward to that wellbeing person coming on board because that will be their project to make sure they look after that area, Sherelle, that everyone's studying, everyone's preparing yeah. themselves for life after sport because, you know, you're only a knee injury away from then moving on to the next day of, stage of your, your life. So we just want to make sure that we look after all those players. Yeah, and you, you've kind of touched on this, obviously, and there's been a lot of talk around um, those athletes who have returned from the World Cup. What what are mm-hmm. you hearing from them in terms of their physical and kind of mental well-being at, at yeah. the moment a couple of weeks on? Yeah, I, I've spoken to them. They are tired, um, and it, I think it's most difficult for the ones entering finals. You know, the ones that the season end is near, they, they think they can get get through to that point, but they, they are tired, um, not not just physically but mentally. But, you know, they're, they're pretty robust and they say, well, you know, what can they do? That's just the way it is, so we're going to have to get through it. Um, I think the most important thing is that we get some feedback, you know, in a, and I know Netball Australia doing review to, you know, I would think that this won't happen again because it's just too demanding. I mean, you guys know what it's like, particularly emotionally. It's just so draining. Um, and physically, it's not a competition that we're used to playing day in, day out. So I couldn't have thought of anything <laughs> to come back and play SSN. Oh, God, we had to deal with it in 2002, but we didn't have to come back yeah. and play four days later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Let, yeah. Let's not That's talk about tough. that moment. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting, just whilst talking to you guys, the other thing that once the CPA negotiations are out of the way, an important project for AMPA is the retired players. 
I mean, we're not we're not good at looking after the girls that move on. So basically, you know, you, you contribute a lot, your heart and soul, and then you move on and you get a tap on the back saying, thanks for coming, here's a couple of tickets um, um, thereafter. So I like to try and keep those, because other sports keep those players engaged, they're members of their players' association. You know, we don't have the resources that they do, but if we can just start that process to keep them engaged and work out you know, a strategic, um, what the strategic priorities are for that retired player group because, you know, they've got so much to offer and I just feel like we're letting them down by, you know, letting them go on their way and not keeping them engaged. Yeah, I totally agree with that and I think um, some of the clubs and sporting organisations are starting to really improve that and improve Mm -hmm. the relationships and recognition of players who Mm. have gone previously because you're right, they do have... We, we have such a rich history in netball mm. and I feel like in some ways that does get a little bit lost because, yeah. and I don't know if it's a, a female thing, often players when they finish are going off to um, start families or in B's case do, you know, broadcast roles and, you know, yeah. life goes on and things are busy. So finding a way to kind of really connect with that um, is incredibly important. I mean, I, I was thinking the other day, it's been 20 years this year since we won that 99 World Cup. Um, yeah. And I was, because I was um, see, seeing a Carlton Football Club reunion from a premiership yeah. from 50 years ago. And I thought, gee, we don't do anything like that, no. do we? We don't celebrate those really great milestones no. that we've had in and the past. Ha- yeah. And how good would it be for those players to reconnect? And that's like you said, I think it's a male versus female thing. The old grammarians and yeah. you know the, the old mate system in, in men's sport is is so strong and, and they're so good at it. You, you know, I lived in New Zealand for a long time. The All Blacks, they are constantly having um, engagements where all those players are coming back together and helping the new generation, yeah. etc. So yeah, it's an area that we certainly need to improve and, that, and, and that's a project in itself, I think. Um, because, like you said, you know, so many of our players have got have got so much to offer, and just by letting them go, it's it's, it's not ideal. And, and he, it's really interesting now because players are moving clubs a little bit more often. You know, whereas you know when yeah. we were playing, you guys played for Victoria, and I played in South Australia, and that was it. So now a player might spend eight years at a club, move to a new club for one year. So who looks after them? Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, because they've spent one year at a club, they're not really that engaged with that player but they've moved on for the club that they represented for eight years or whatever it may be. So that's why I see it as a players' association project for us to get some steps in place to start growing that area. Well, Kath, you've got a lot of work ahead. (laughs) You're a wealth of information, though. (laughs) It's been great. And you know what? I would love to chat to you more, too, about your your playing career and the things you've Mm -hmm. loved about it. But, I mean, we kind of don't have time. We might have to have you back another day. Is there a favourite memory from your playing days? Oh, you running down that court in 99 after shooting that winning goal, Sherelle, is hard to beat. (laughs) Did you step as you brought the ball down court? Did you step? uh, I do have (laughs) international, like an Australian point of view, that one and the 2002 Commonwealth Games that went into extra time when we didn't know the rules and I was captain and we looked down and out. (laughs) That was another. I think you were were struggling with an injury at that point in time. You didn't know if you were playing, so that one was is right up there as well. Yeah, there you go. Well, I mean, Kath, you you have had some incredible experiences and how fantastic is it for our young athletes as they come through B to have someone like Kath heading up this Players Association. Um, It's been fantastic to chat, Kath, and we really appreciate you giving us your time. Yes, and well done for all the great work you're doing, Harbs. Anytime, girls. Lovely chatting. Yeah, thanks very much.
Okay, bye. Well, there she was, Kath Harvey-Williams. What a, another great chat. I mean, I, we say it every week, but we like to get a different angle on things here at the Inner Circle podcast. And it was really interesting getting some of the insight about what the Players Association are, are working towards. I know, and you listen to her, and even though we've lived and breathed it ourselves working in that role, it is, you don't realise how much goes into it, how many conversations you're having Mm. with the players, with Netball Australia. It is honestly a never-ending role and I just think it's so great to hear her passion for it. Um, and it. And that is an example of having a retired player come back into the game. You know, she is a very intelligent person, Catherine Harvey, and we've always known that. And having using utilizing her skill set in a role like that, I think is very powerful. Yeah, it's perfect. And it and it is great to hear about how the process works. You know, each of the teams have delegates, they have people There's um, a board now. There's a board. Everyone's really engaged in that process. And so, you know, I think without the players uh, certainly don't have the end decision, but making sure that the players, as we spoke about, have a voice along that decision-making process is really important and it's empowering for the players and the athletes. And to to the girls that put their hand up, whether you're a delegate, whether you're like a Nat Medhurst and a Joe Weston, you know, who are right entrenched in it all, you know, that is often a thankless job. Mm. And so to those players who do invest time into it, I think it's, you know, it is a very powerful thing for our sport. We need it. Yep. So, you know, thank you to all those girls who do put their hand up and want to do the extra effort and put it in yep. to make the changes because well it's the only way the sport is going to keep growing. Yeah. Hey, hey, B, I don't think there's much happening in the Suncorp Super Netball oh. this weekend. I don't, well, think I don't think there's many important games, are there? Watch out, Sherelle, because <laughs> I'll be on the sideline for your game Ooh. taking on the Lightning. I'm going to be watching and trying to listen out what are your key words that you say when you need to call a timeout. I'm going to be shoving the mic. Microphone in your face. I want to know what's going on. Yes. Well, and obviously that's that's a huge one. Um, particularly, you know, the Sunshine Coast had a really good win um, over the Giants. It was a tight game, but they were very impressive. And um, for the Vixens, for our girls, uh, for my girls, they'll be, you know, wanting to bounce back from that tough game against the Swifts. And, and they can bounce back. Because remember last time you took on Lightning, that was off the back of losing to the Magpies. And then you absolutely smashed the Lightning. On the sunny coast. I don't know that you'd call it an absolute smashing, but we did win. Wasn't it an absolute smashing? <laughs> well, that's I not how was... I would describe it. Okay. Others may describe it as that. But All right. But the it, other two yep. games for me that stand out, we talk about the battle for fourth, Giants and Magpies. So the Magpies have Swifts this week and then next week they have the Vixens. They have a very tough road home to yep. try and secure a spot in the top four. The Giants, however, it's almost the opposite end of the scale for them. They take on Thunderbirds, who I must admit are playing some great netball. You've been saying this all season. I know. They're coming. They're coming. (laughs) They're finally going to get there. But they've got – they're taking on the Thunderbirds and then they're taking on Fever. At home. At home. So you think the Giants have an easier run home, but as we know, if Magpies can keep up their consistent play – Anything can happen. Anything can happen. And so we, we all know that those, probably the top three positions uh, are set, just the order of that. But you want to, is... I mean, I'm 
not putting words in your mouth, but I'm assuming you want top two. Uh, I think everyone's aiming for that, definitely. You, you don't want to be finishing third if no, you, we, you don't you, have to. No, you don't. You you certainly want that opportunity for um, the home grand final, I think, is um, a really big one and the second chance, obviously, for that top two position. So very, very interesting games coming up, B, and yes. I'll look forward to seeing you courtside. <laughs> Thanks to everybody um, that's jumped on to yes. iTunes, giving us five stars because <laughs> that's all we accept, except what are we, 147 f- five stars at the moment? Or people have rated us. Oh, yes. But 146 are only five Five stars, stars. one four star. But that's okay. We'll just keep building. So we've had at least 20 people jump on board and do that in the last week. I think we are. Like, I'm not... Uh, I'm okay. It like, just sticks in our side. Sometimes I don't do my star. research. I understand that. If I've said some stat that's wrong, that's probably why we only got I four think, stars. I think we have done that I apologize. a little bit in the past too. So. <laughs> but you can obviously find us on iTunes. You can RSN website as well. Yep. So make sure you subscribe and listen and keep giving us your feedback, whether it's on Instagram or on Twitter. We love your questions because that's how we build what we're going to do each week. Absolutely. So thank you so much for those interactions. And uh, we shall hopefully get a few more in the lead up to our next podcast next week and uh, we'll probably have a bit more of an idea about how that top four is shaping up so we look forward to that 